Welcome to the Finance and Investments Student Association's FISA Fireside Chats with Matthew and Oliver. Welcome back, everyone, to the FISA Fireside Chat. We hope the semester is treating you uh, well so far. We have the chance today to have an exceptional guest with us, Simon Baudry, a, uh, an alumni from Concordia, graduated in 2019, and currently works at uh, Jefferies in New York City as an exotic option trader. Welcome to the podcast, Simon. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So let's get started with uh, the classic question we ask almost every people uh, coming on our podcast. So why don't you give us a bit of background about yourself, a bit of color about your different experiences and uh, and your time at Concordia, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Great. So uh, I started Concordia in 2016, uh, studied finance, like most of the audience for this podcast. Um, and then the two main things I did while I was at school was one, uh, I was a director, participant, and then coach for Rothman. So GMTL for FISA, you should, everyone watching should go every single Monday. Um, and then the second thing I did at school was uh, Kenneth Woods, which is a great program. You get to get this great exposure, uh, managing a portfolio, and you also get this great uh, network of alumni that is there to mentor you, teach you about stocks, and kind of guide you in your career uh, progression. Uh, and then uh, during school, I like interned at PSP Investment, which is a Montreal-based uh, pension fund. I was on their trading desk, so I got to see uh, all the action happening day in, be kind of like seeing all the trades that would happen from PMs, see the traders executing them, trying to trade large size in the market, and try to like, when you're a big player in the market, you're trying to not get people to know that you're out there because they're going to front run you. They're going to trade ahead of you, right? So that that was an interesting part. Uh, but then I kind of figured out that uh, the U.S. sell side was uh, also an option. So I I went to Jeffries the second summer, and we did a rotation. You quickly did every single day, uh, every single week. You were doing a different desk. So five days in a row, you're with a team. Next week, you're with a different one. So you get to quickly get a lot of exposure to different people, what they do from very salesy kind of more relationship people to more quantitative. And I landed on the exotic options trading desk where I've been for now three years. Great. And so now maybe, maybe we can just quickly rewind to your time at Concordian at JMSB and be curious to hear. So how, how did you get into sales and trading? How did you hear about it? How did you learn about it? And then ultimately how, how did you end up landing your, your first internship? Yeah, so like, it was kind of a very incremental process. Like at first, I, I didn't even know if I wanted to do finance or accounting. So I, before going to PSP, I went for an accounting job at Glencore, which is like a big mining group. So I was doing accounting, reconciliation for month end. Learned a lot, but uh, I felt like it was a great learning experience, but not a long-term thing that I wanted to do. So kind of went to finance. At that point, I was kind of more looking to investment management, kind of like studying Warren Buffett, value investing, finding out how to do pitches. Uh, and then I did one full pitch, spent like two weeks on it. Didn't like the process. I was like, this just not what I want to do in my career. But I enjoyed the process. I learned a lot about it. And it helped me build the framework about how to think about securities and investments. Uh, so... And at the same time, I was kind of starting at GMTL, and that, that really got me hooked. I was like, kind of like, and there was great mentors that were either part of directing the program at that point or had been there before. So kind of did like the classic coffee chats with all of my life with GMTL and 
kind of I got it to where it was at the same time and kind of like everything kind of like spiraled into like me going to PSP. I uh, got the internship there and Jeffrey's after that, right? It was kind of very incremental of like, just what do I like? What do I not like? And what am I good at? Yeah, I think that's that's great. And I, I'm just curious to hear because a lot of us know uh, Jim. I obviously Jim TL is a huge part of, of FISO as well, but maybe a bit less known. I was just curious, what's the process of lending an internship in uh, in sales and trading? We know, for example, the asset management or the, the investment banking job, like there's a 400 question ID guide you can learn or it's pretty like straightforward. Is there anything like this in the, the sales and trading process? Do you need to have like strong technicals to, to walk in your first job or it's incremental as you, uh, as the answer, you mentioned? The answer is there's no, like you cannot show up knowing the job because there's no textbook about it, right? There's literally like you have to do it to learn it. It's not like investment banking that you can kind of have a framework about how to value a company, how to spread comps. In trading, like you can, the only thing you can really learn is like derivatives mechanic, and like not everyone that's in sales and trading even knows about derivatives. So it's not even a prerequisite. It's mostly kind of more of a can you demonstrate interest into the market, and is there a fit with the team, right? That's more of the quality that they're looking for, and are you hardworking? So that's either going to be through like your extracurriculars, your grades that you're able to show that no, you're able to spend uh, these times and. The work in sales and trading is very different from banking, whereas banking is kind of a slower pace, but very long hours. Like sales and trading is like kind of a more condensed, still long hours, but more condensed and very intense around market open and market close. So you have to be extremely focused and there's like not a lot of room for errors. So it's a very different kind of pressure and like uh, mental stress. And maybe just to touch on that, like for those wondering, what what can a sales and trading intern or someone looking into going into sales and trading expect to do in their their first and second internships on the job? So, what kind of tasks, what kind of people are you, are you working with? And so, essentially, what what are you doing in during that summer as an S and T intern? Yeah, so I'd say like it's very different between my two different internships, right? So at PSP, I was. Uh, very much engaged operationally. Like I was going, I was doing all the securities lending. So when you want a shorter stock, you have to borrow the securities. I was doing all of that and I was pretty involved. I was communicating with the traders about where the best bank, you had a, an options trade. Here are the top three banks that based on our data and I was doing the analytics for them. So I was very, very engaged operationally. And then kind of the like shadowing, looking at what PMs were doing was kind of second to that. Whereas when I was at Jeffrey's, going around and kind of interacting with people and just learning was the main focus. And I did very few things operationally, given that, uh, especially in the US, it's very, and when you're on the sell side, you need all your license and they're not going to make the intern spend six to seven weeks doing uh, licenses when the whole internship is only 10 weeks. So it was much more of a learning experience than like actually doing work. And it was kind of more demonstrating that you're capable of doing the work once you're hired than actually like being in, being there and like helping out because you just legally can't. Yeah, I know that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and that brings uh, that brings up my next question. Obviously, very curious to hear about uh, how you landed the job in, in New York City, thinking out of Concordia, that's that's super impressive and not a lot of people are, are able to do it. So if you could touch on your experience at Jeffries and maybe... Uh, make a little comparison on how is it to work 
as a trading the summer analyst at PSP in Canada, for example, versus as, as a sales and trading summer analyst in uh, in New York City. If you could break that down for us, that'd be uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So uh, uh, first, how I broke into New York. So it was at that point I had like decent experience in sales and trading, given I I was reading a lot about derivatives, like kind of getting my little niche in derivatives, kind of like was figuring out PSP at that point that like, that's what I wanted to do. And then uh, met an alumni from Group Quarter that was in equity research at Jeffries at that point and kind of like just talked to her, visited the firm uh, in person in New York and then um, went for coffee chats with other people that she referred to me that were in sales and drink. I kind of communicated to her that I like, was interested in Jeffries, but not research because I had already done that whole value invested thing and it was not my thing. So, and she like, and she was very good friends with the healthcare trader. And so I went for coffee chats, kind of expanded and then discovered that the boss of that trader was actually the one responsible for the internship program. So kind of like slowly organically kind of like navigated my way to have like at least an interview. And once I was in the interview, I had like, uh, like it's hard to learn about sales and trading unless you do it. And I had already been doing it for like eight months at PSB. And uh, I already had like a pretty in-depth knowledge of, well, in-depth for an intern uh, in, in knowledge into the derivatives. So I could have kind of, I stand it out a lot among my, among my peers during the, the interview process and then went to the internship. Um, it's much easier to like kind of navigate yourself to go to New York out of an internship because the visa situation is much simpler and there's like a lesser commitment from the employer. So definitely if you're, if you're interested to New York, like going for the internship first and then converting that to a full time is probably the best bet, but everything is possible. I've seen everything happen. And then the difference between the two, um, New, like New York is a lot more uh, like heavy pace and there's a lot of different people in a very condensed place. So if you're like kind of a more client facing role, if you're in Montreal, well, there's not a lot of people like there's very few banks. There's like very few people, whereas there's hundreds and hundreds of firms in New York. So there's a lot more interactions happening. So uh, you go out with clients, you go out with brokers you, and you kind of navigate, like there's a lot more interactions happening every single day, every week. And also, but the hours are also much longer, right? It, just including your time in the office, I was working more in the office. I'm much more in, in New York. And then there's so much more client interactions that happen on top of that where, okay, you're done at like 8 p.m., but then you have to go meet clients and then be in the office by like 7 a.m. the next morning. So that's kind of like faster pace. And that's why I like it, but it could also burn out some people. Right. And you, you mentioned that in your internship at, at Jeffries, you got to touch on a few different things and work on, on a few different desks. Can you just give a quick rundown of, you know, what, what that actually means and maybe talk a little bit more about exotic options and, and what that entails? Yeah. So um, um, basically, I was working every single week on a different desk. So suppose one week I was doing algorithmic sales. So they were selling the algos they use to trade in the market. So uh, when you're trading very large size, you, you, there's different strategies to make sure that you don't have a big market impact. So they were selling that. And then the next week I was on the developers and then another week on uh, prime brokerage, which is kind of a more custodian 
service provider for hedge funds. And then derivatives was a week. Um, CRB has come this proprietary algorithmic trading that they're committing firm capital to facilitate trades um, on, but on an automated basis where they're, they have some factors and very complicated, like kind of more high level finance math to minimize the risk rapidly, kind of look at more liquid assets, correlated assets to reduce the risk and then slowly unwind the main position. That's good. That's like another desk that you do. So you're like learning a lot, but you're only spending five days with yeah. a team. So, and you're also, you're not only trying to learn, you're also trying to convince them that please hire me and you're trying to see if there's a fit. So it's kind of a very high pressure, like, uh, and it's pretty much like they're trying to see if you could swim or if you sink. That's literally how it goes. Um, they're all like everyone's super nice. There's it's not like the movies where everyone's screaming. Uh, it's like the training desk has evolved a lot. It's definitely a lot quieter, especially with the uh, innovation of noise canceling headphones. But um, yeah, like uh, but it's still like action packed. And when the market's moving, there's definitely people screaming on the phone. Uh, when the market's moving a lot, um, clients definitely pick up the phone. They don't do chats. They they want to hear like what's happening. Uh, yeah, that's and then exotic options like without going to like the nitty gritty of it. Basically, uh, a regular option is um, something that's traded that's life price and that's like not standardized. So um, if you go on the Chicago exchange, there's life prices for like thousands, if not millions of options, different strikes. You could buy an Apple February call with this strike and there's like a bunch of them and, but they're very standardized. So what if a client has a different need that doesn't fit those standardized contracts? So the, um, the easiest one is uh, an option usually matures on the third Friday of a month. I could do it on the second Friday. I could do it on the Wednesday. I could just make the contract, whatever the client desires. Right. And then there's a lot of other features that we can add to an option to either make it cheaper or like kind of tailor make it to uh, the customer's need. Uh, another stuff that we do is also kind of like more like uh, loans. So we also do like uh uh, the client has a bunch of stock. They're trying to uh, get a loan against that stock. We value it as um, as if the stock goes down more than the amount of the loan. Well, we're going to be on in the hole for like kind of so we can model it as a put option, basically. So that's kind of like another stuff. So we get all of different all the funky requests that come from clients. Eventually, lands up on our desk trying to like custom make a solution for them. And as a trader compared to a sales, my sales is trying to get the client to trade with us. I'm trying to see how do we make it happen and what other instruments will I trade against it, right? Because as when you're trading derivatives on the OTC side, you're committing your firm capital. So if the client, you enter into a contract with the customer, you're taking the other, as a trader, you're taking the other side of that trade. So you're trying to find ways to minimize the risk and find to offset that risk. Maybe there's, uh, an insurance company that's willing to do a trade that's not exactly the same, but that will offset most of your risk away, right? So we're always trying to find offsets or cheaper ways to replicate that contract for the client. Yeah, no, that's 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 super interesting, and obviously it's something we don't hear too much uh, too much about. And I was just curious, maybe just to circle back to your internship a little bit. 
because we hear a lot like sales and trading. So I'm curious if you could expand, you touched on it a little bit, but the difference between someone that's more on the sell side, the while well, the like sell like selling a product versus like actually trading. And did you experience both during your, your rotational program? And maybe if if you did, which one I'm assuming you like the, the trading one better, but how was your experience on, on the other side as well? Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's definitely very different roles, and it's also very different personalities that will thrive in each role. Whereas the sales role is very much like trying to distinguish yourself uh, with the client, and it really like and try and make Jeffrey stand out because there are twenty banks that they're willing to trade with, if not more, and you're trying to create a personal connection with the client, right? And the more the the more what you're training is standardized and Jeffries as a like trading bank does not have an edge in it, in that product. Like if it's just Apple share, every single bank will trade Apple share the same way. So creating a connection with the client is very important. Right. And then when you get into the more complex transactions, it's also um, the customer might be their first derivative trade they're ever doing. So being able to trust you and being sure that you're doing the right thing for them is very important because a lot of them are hiring lawyers for the first time to look at the documentation. They're very blind towards what they should be looking for. So someone that can kind of guide them. Whereas the traders is, you, uh, does not usually talk to the clients. Um, and we're more focused on, we are committing capital to the firm, right? We are executing trades for clients. Whereas I'm thinking the other side of that trade and what is the right price to execute that trade? And, how do I manage this portfolio of, for a derivatives trader, it's multiple different instruments, different strategies, and also multiple names. So we have a book of like hundreds of different stocks with different products, uh, bearer options, little callables, all different kinds of like products that we sold to clients. And it just becomes this big portfolio theory of like the the thing as a whole is much more diversified than as any trade as a whole, right? So you might lose money on a trade, but we're looking more on the aggregate level. Where is our risk and trying to hedge that for the cheapest possible? I'd be curious to hear when you when you say the client, like who who typically are you referring to? So what like what kind of clients do you see? And then as a trader, what what are your interactions with these clients look like? Uh, so the clients are kind of like in four big buckets, right? The first one is like institutional, right? So like, um, like hedge funds, pension funds, uh, mutual funds, well, whatever is capable. On the reverse side, it's more hedge funds, right? And they're kind of the more, uh, they're the last person you want to trade with because they're usually right. So as a trader, you're kind of like, you, you know, there's not edge and they're also more aggressive on how tight they want pricing because they know where it should price. Um, and then uh, insurance clients, insurance have this huge derivative business and they also like own securities, they own fixed income instruments. So they're trading a lot. So, and then, and in that insurance, I also add like under other financials. So like under like other banks, like we have layoffs from them, kind of like other financial companies as a whole. And then corporations, corporations are like big about doing uh, buybacks, uh, they have financing needs. Um, so they enter into a bunch of different derivatives to either purchase back, issue more stock, 
uh, or it could also be um, the CEO that has a huge stake in the company that wants to monetize part of it to get like a loan against his stocks or that wants to like buy calls on his name because he's so confident that he's going to beat the numbers next quarter that he wants to buy call option. We've seen that, right? Um, and then retail, like uh, there's a big, uh, especially in Europe, Asia, not that much in Canada, but it's growing very quickly in the US too, of structure notes, which is kind of like this hybrid debt instrument that uh, the bank issue is issuing debt, but you could get uh, only upside the S&P. So if the S&P goes up, you make money. If the S&P goes down, you don't lose money. That's one of them. There's a bunch of different flavors of like structured notes, but that's also a huge market for derivatives, but it's also like in sales and trading, it could also be uh, like Citadel trading with Robinhood customers. That's also another branch of like what people do. Yeah, that's, no, that's awesome. And I was just curious, I, I mean, you mentioned a little bit, but could you walk us through like rapidly what a day in the life of an exotic option trader looks like? Like what time do you get in and what time can you expect like maybe like leaving the office and, and what's what's in between and, in a, in a shortened matter, obviously. Yeah, so the good thing about exotic options is you never know what's going to land on your desk. And the trades that we have on are always different because we just get a bunch of like different things. So I might have like a, a new trade that's kind of new and I'll spend the whole day talking to lawyers about like how this specific clause, how we, uh, in the contract that we're signing with the contract, because it's a new product that no one has traded before. Or it could be uh, tech meetings because we're very technology heavy. Our models like require a lot of servers running, and um, and we are like we're constantly having like connectivity. We're connecting with like different customers electronically. So I might spend a whole day. Okay, so there's not really one special day, and like I might be thinking I'm gonna do. Oh, today I'm gonna take it easy. I'm just gonna like code some stuff to model my risk better, and then like. Like one of the Fed shares is going to come out speaking and then the market's going to be down 4%. And I guess I'm not doing that today because I'm just going to be like, look at my book all day and like just trying to figure out the best way to manage that risk. Right. So like, it's always like kind of like different days. And I'd say even the time I come in, the time I go out, like changes. I, some mornings I come in at seven, some morning I come in at eight thirty, and some days I leave at five and some other days I leave at 10 30. Right. It's very, very variable based on what the need of the day is. There's days that are much more busy. And uh, when we're not busy, I'm not really big about FaceTime. So I'm very quick. Once I'm done my job, I'll just leave. Right. But usually there's a lot of work. So I'm still not leaving early. <laughs> Great. And maybe quickly before we wrap up, if you're if you're a, like a first or second year student at JMSB listening to this podcast, Maybe, what what kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to be maybe in your position a couple of years down the line? Yeah, so like first of all, like make sure you actually want to do this. It's like a hard job, and like it's like there's a specific personality that will like really like this, and like most people will actually hate it. I'd say like just do find what you like, learn the most you can about it, keep your mind open. And uh, talk to as much people as much of people as you can, right? When especially when you're students, people are super open to talk to you, right? And I'd say ne never, almost never, unless you're in the interview process, never go there like, "Hey, I want to work for you." Just go and say, "I want to learn from you. I want to learn what you do," right? And people are super open to like share their time and like, 
and be open and then actually like tell you like, Hey, here's my job. Here's like what we do. Like, here's how we think about uh, either like banking deals. Here's how we think about wealth management. Here's how I, my approach to investing is for this mutual fund. They'll, they'll be very open usually to talk to you. And like, it's like, it kind of like dies off once you stop being a student because it's hard, hard to like kind of make that communication. Um, it still happens all the time, but it's m much more like kind of awkward if you're like, kind of like in a competing firm and you're like, Hey, let's go for coffee. They're going to be like, well, why do you want to take me out? What do you like? Are you trying to get information from me? Right. That, that happens. Right. So while you're a student, everyone's going to be nice to you. Everyone's going to be willing to share information with you. So like take, take the most out of it while you're there and find what you like. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Simone. And I think one lesson, uh, we can take that from all of our guests, but networking is definitely a big part of the journey. So for all the students, don't be shy to, to reach out to people. And as Simo mentioned, as a student, it's so much easier than once you've uh, landed a, a first job. There can be some some conflicts a little bit more. But uh, Simo, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. And uh, hopefully you have a, a great day today. No problem, guys. Anytime. All right. Perfect.